0: Alright, let's open up to a couple places in the book of Romans. To start off tonight, Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 7. Sunday nights and Wednesday nights we've been going through some different Bible references on emotions. No doubt we all struggle with some of our God-given emotions and the devil is definitely the master manipulator and if you're not careful these emotions that are so much natural and and common can be twisted and used for bad and we've seen that with others and tonight we're gonna look in Romans 3 and Romans 7 and study an emotion that's real common and has both a positive and a negative side to it as these others Romans chapter 7 and then Romans chapter uh, 3. Romans chapter 3, let's go ahead and read verse number um, 19. Romans three nineteen. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Notice that last phrase, guilty before God. Look over in chapter 7. This is Paul's testimony here, Romans chapter number 7. Verse number 7. What shall we say then is the law sin? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law had said thou shalt not covet. But sin taken occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. And we'll just stop there for the sake of time, but these two verses show real clear that the law shows man's sinfulness, and when man sees his sinfulness, he falls under a shadow of guilt. So I want to preach to you tonight about the guilt, and the message tonight is getting over guilt. Now guilt has two sides, a good side and a bad side. Uh, William Wordsworth, he said, From the body of one guilty deed, a thousand ghostly gears and haunting thoughts proceed. And guilt is definitely something that we've all had to deal with at one time or other in our lives. And it's a very common emotion. We all experience it. It's an emotion God has put inside of us. And it's also an emotion that if you don't get things right with God, and according to the scriptures, it can be twisted and keep you in bondage for a very long time. But we've all experienced guilt. Um, There was two brothers. They owned a little store. I guess it was like one of these little country stores. And they kept noticing their inventory, when they would have inventory, that some items would be missing. They said, man, we got to figure out how to catch this joker, you know. We thought we lived in a nice little town. But... So they said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. Well, they put a little hole in the ceiling, and they'd take turns, and they'd get up there and begin to, to watch to kind of catch who it was. Well, it didn't take too long that word began to get around that there's a little hole in the ceiling. So what they would do, they'd be watching these people, and it wasn't just one person that was just, you know, thinking that they were uh, entitled an extra candy bar or whatever it was Um, it was just a lot of different people and so what happened is they they begin to notice people as they were shopping the little country store they'd be looking around then all of a sudden they'd you say why because of guilt you know somebody's watching you it's kind of like the little boy with his daddy back in the day when probably the depression days and they were in a Walking down the road, and his dad said, Come on, son. They jumped over the fence and went into a watermelon field. And he, he said, All right. And he looked this way, and he looked that way, and looked behind him. He goes, Dad, there's one place you forgot to look. <laughs> God's watching you. And when that sin is magnified by the law, the law says, Thou shalt not covet. And then when we covet, we're caught. It's kind of like when those sirens go off behind you, and you know you had to pedal to the metal. (laughs) It's like guilty, guilty as charged. So let's consider the situation, let's think about it this way, because on the one side obviously it's positive, but on the other side it's negative, and we want to look at these things. So the grip of guilt, think about it this way, thinking of Brother Will here, he's got a grip. The men in here shake his hand. Ladies, don't shake his hand. You'll, you'll be at TOC. The man's got a grip. And he can hold on. And I don't know how long he can hold that grip. But guilt can get a grip on you. It's a strong grip. So we need to consider the situation to look at the options because we have two. We have conviction from the Spirit and, or condemnation from Satan. Those are the two options. So uh, conviction from the Holy Spirit, we read these verses, obviously that's pretty apparent. James 2 verse 10 says, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And so the Holy Spirit uses the Bible to convict of sin. I think we understand that. But on the other side we have the condemnation from the devil. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12 and notice the Pharisees here. Who were... Pretty much employed by the devil himself. Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil. Look in Matthew chapter number 12. The Pharisees get all upset with the disciples because they're eating on the Sabbath day. And Jesus rebukes them, puts them in their place here. And notice what he says in verse number 7. But if you had known what this meaneth, and he quotes, I guess Micah, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Matthew 12, 7. So the idea is that somebody is not guilty, but they're being condemned anyway. And so that's condemnation from Satan. So here's how the thing operates. The Holy Spirit, He will give you the feeling of guilt. He will convict you. Your conscience will light up. And you will be convicted. There's shame that comes from that. But it's shame that sobers. And he convicts you so he can reclaim you, so you can repent, and so he can restore you. That's the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit calling you out on it. And if you've... Even if you don't read the Bible much, you have a conscience. Romans chapter number 2 talks about the Gentiles. Really, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When they took of the forbidden fruit, their eyes were opened and they knew they had knowledge. That's what that word conscience means. Con is with science, with knowledge. So that dispensation of conscience, where they have the knowledge of knowing something's wrong, comes right after they've sinned. And that goes right along now, as far as an economy goes or how God deals with men. It stays intact with the Gentiles all the way up to the cross. Of course, the Jews fall under the law, but the Gentiles fall under their conscience, as Romans chapter 2 tells us. And it says, the Gentiles, they don't have a law, but they're a law unto themselves, their conscience bearing witness, their thoughts the meanwhile either accusing or else excusing one another. Societies that didn't even have the Bible, when somebody would steal something, they would have a penalty for that. Sometimes in some societies, if they stole something with their hand, they'd find out which hand they stole it with, and they'd chop their hand off. And they had laws that lined up with the Old Testament law, even though they didn't have the Bible. So God has instilled inside of every man, woman, boy, and girl a conscience we don't have time to get into this, but when you go through the Scriptures, you find out the conscience can be seared. It can be burned out. And it can be covered up. It can be put aside. That's why these heinous crimes can be committed. I mean, I'll never forget, my dad was on a federal court, uh, federal case one time. He, sir, he had jury duty, I don't know how many times. I don't know why his number always got picked. He was on a federal case one time, and it was a murder case. And these young guys had killed an older couple. And as soon as they killed them and stole their money, they went to the mall and bought some new tennis shoes. They're walking around with new tennis shoes on, eating in the food court. How do you kill somebody in cold blood and go buy a pair of tennis shoes? This was 40 years ago. <laughs> well, the same way some of the heinous things that you hear about. And some of these people are beside. Some of these people are beside you in the in the. Uh, you're the traffic light, and they're sitting over in the car next to you. That'll scare you. Some of these people might be your neighbors. But when you begin to think about it, you say, How can these things happen? Somebody has seared their conscience, and a lot of it takes place in the young age through how they're raised, the things they're exposed to. Can you imagine some of these media, some of the media and the movies that parents allow kids, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 year olds, to watch? If I was to watch some of those, it would I'd have nightmares. And yet they're watching this from their youth up. They're playing these violent video games. No wonder they don't think it's a big deal by the time they're 20 years old just to shoot somebody and take their money and go buy some tennis shoes. Right. Their conscience is shocked. But God puts a conscience, and that conscience is a shame that sobers, and the Holy Spirit convicts you guilt is a good thing. When it leads you to repentance, when it leads you to acknowledge you've sinned in God's sight. Now, that's conviction from the Holy Spirit. Now, condemnation from Satan is not a shame that sobers, but a shame that destroys. What he does is he brings remorse through this guilt. He brings regret, but he does all this not to get you to repent and to reclaim you, but to retain you. To put you in shackles. Before you sin, Satan whispers, you can get away with this. After you sin, Satan says, you can't ever get away with this. You're done. God will never forgive you. So he doesn't like you to feel guilty before you commit the sin, but after you commit the sin, he wants you to stay under that guilt. It's oppression is what it is. Uh, this man told a story in, uh, in a book, and it was about a little boy and his sister visiting their grandparents, I guess, for the summer. They were staying for a few weeks, and his grandpa gave him a slingshot. What boy doesn't love a slingshot? You can do a lot of damage with some good good uh, oak acorns in a slingshot. And a little gravel, pieces of gravel in the, from the driveway, you can do a lot of damage with those in a slingshot. Well, this little boy, he was working on his aim, and he was having a hard time, not doing too good, and uh, they lived kind of out in the country, and his uh, grandma had some pet ducks in the little pond out there, and uh, he got close enough to one of them, and he was going to see if he could hit it, you know, it's just, it's always funner to, you know, try to hit something that's alive. So, plow, he hit that sucker in the head, and he killed the duck, and it was his grandma's pet duck, so he went and hit it in the wood pile. And he thought everything was okay, you know, and they got there at supper time, and uh, they're getting ready for supper, and, and his grandma says, okay, Sally, you know, you need to help me with the dishes. And she says, no, I think Jimmy wants to help. And she goes over there, and she goes, remember the duck? <laughs> she saw what happened. So he said, oh, yeah, I'll help, I'll help. And So he helps get everything ready, then afterward, you know, he goes, okay, Sally, helped wash the dishes. And she goes, no, Jimmy said he wanted to wash dishes. And she looks over at him. So this goes on for several days. All the chores and everything. She just keeps saying, remember the duck? You know. And finally he breaks down. He runs to his grandma. He can't take it anymore. He can't wash another dish, you know. And he says, Grandma, I killed your duck, you know, and and all this. And she says, Jimmy, I saw the whole thing from the kitchen window. And I was upset at first. But I forgave you. And that whole time... He didn't even know that his mother had forgiven him. And he was living in that bondage. And she said, I forgave you. I was just wondering how long you were going to let your sister make a slave out of you. <laughs> and I wonder how many Christians allowed the devil to make a slave out of them. Remember the duck? <laughs> Remember the duck? So here's the way to handle and tackle this, okay? First John chapter 1, let's look at this passage, a great passage of Scripture. First John chapter 1, and we sang a few songs tonight that really go along with this. But notice in First John chapter 1, which deals with fellowship, First John chapter 1, verse 3, he mentions our fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Look in verse 4, 1 John 1, 4. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full... This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So here's the thing to do. If you're guilty, if you feel guilt for sin that you've committed, this is the recipe right here. Let's confess the sin. Get it out there open to the Lord. Notice exposure to the light. You see that in the context. We walk in the light as he is in the light. Darkness can't exist around the light. The darkness has to flee when the light comes. There's not a thing that the darkness of nighttime can do when that sun comes over the horizon. As bright as the moon wants to control the nighttime, the moon pales in comparison when that sun comes up over the horizon. And so when you get into the light of God's word, there's exposure to the light. And of course conviction comes from exposure to the light. John 8, verse 9, you don't have to turn there, but this is the only time that word convicted shows up that I could find. And it says this in John 8, 9. This is the passage, you remember when the Pharisees brought the woman that was taken in the act of adultery, they threw her down in the midst there, and they said, the Bible, the Moses says, we're supposed to stone her, but what do you say? And Jesus wrote some things on the, the ground. And then he said, he that was without sin, let him cast the stone. But when he wrote on the ground... The Bible says they heard it, and being convicted, John 8, verse number 9, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one. I don't know what he wrote on the ground. Do you have an idea, let me know. He might have wrote the name of their girlfriends. Or he might have wrote the name of the, the guy, because the Bible says in the Old Testament law you bring the adulterer and the adulteress. They just brought the adulteress. If she was taken in the very act, surely they had the guy. Maybe it was one of them standing there and he wrote his name out. I don't know what he wrote. But the thing is, they were convicted by the, the light exposes that. So here's the thing, if you you have guilt, then open up the light of God's word, let the scripture expose you, and there's conviction and then there's clarity. And light bring, bling, brings blings. Right? Light blings clarity. It brings clarity. It it shows you things that otherwise you can't see. You know the you ladies that love to do your spring cleaning. You pull up the shades. There's nothing like sunlight to show dust. And you think you got all the dust gone, then you get the shades up, and that light sunlight comes in. It's just as clear as you can see that there's dust all over the top of whatever. And that clarity comes from the light. John chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus says, Yet a little while the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. So if you're not willing to walk in the light, then you'll never get rid of this guilt. Because you won't be able to bring it out, to have it exposed. Uh, There was a woman missionary and she went on her with her husband there on the mission field, and they got this uh, place to live, and um, I I might have told you this, I don't know if I told you this before or not. But Anyway, they got this place to live, and you know how some of those properties are, especially in third world countries, they're normally not clean, so she begins to start cleaning, and and she gets a lot of things clean, and finally she's like, I gotta get this floor clean, and she gets to cleaning and cleaning and cleaning and cleaning, and it's not coming clean, and finally the, the neighbor next door walks over and says, uh, I'm sorry to tell you this, honey, but uh, that's a dirt floor. <laughs> You're not cleaning that dirt off of that floor. And so when you don't have exposure to the light, you can't have the clarity to see the dirt. And then we have, look in 1 John chapter 1, we have not just exposure to the light, but expressing the expressing of our sin to God. This is confession. Conviction, clarity, notice confession. 1 John chapter 1, look at what it says. If you don't know this verse, you need to memorize it. Look in 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now that's confessing your sins to God. I don't want you to come down here in front of the church, turn around and start giving the church your dirty laundry. We don't want to hear your dirty laundry. I don't want you to hear mine, I don't want to hear yours. Think the best, forget the rest. But if you confess your sins to God, He will cleanse you. Notice it says He's faithful to do it, but He's also just. That's a legal term. The justice of God. He's bound by His own nature of being a just and holy God. When you come on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ, He has to forgive you. He can't hold that over your head. So we have this confession of sin. And by the way, an admission of sin is not a confession. A confession gets into these things. Number one, it's uh, you confess it specifically. The Lord shows the light up on your sin and says, you did such and such. And instead of dodging it and ducking it and going around, you say, yes, Lord, I did that. Of just, I have sinned. Well, what did you do? Okay, Lord, I did that. Confess it specifically, confess it immediately. You know, when you get something in your eye, you don't say, You know, I, I think I'll, I'll get that out tomorrow. You know, I'm, my eye's watering, it's all red, you know, I'll get it out tomorrow. No, man, you got this irritation in your eye, man, that's a very sensitive thing. You go and you wash it out immediately. The idea is that when you have that light and it exposes the dirtiness, some of you ladies, you're, and maybe some of you guys, you're neat freaks and you want to have things clean. You pull the shades up and you see, oh, man, this is dirt. You've got to clean everything now. My theory is just get the broom and sweep it under the couch. <laughs> the problem is it's still under the couch. That wouldn't work for you. You're like, no, man, that is going to bother me. I will know that that dirt is under the couch. Because you're sensitive to that. Some of you got some trash or maybe you have a notebook or you have something you left in the backseat of your car until you get the back seat of your car cleaned out. It's going to bother you. Others of you, we can't even sit down in the backseat of your car. There's so much stuff. But the idea is to be sensitive about sin. Not that we like it, but that we loathe it. So it bothers us. And so you want to get rid of it. You want to confess it. You'll confess it specifically, confess it immediately, confess it confidently. Acknowledge your sin, affirm it by confessing it, and accept His forgiveness. Notice in verse number 8. Compare it to verse number 9. In verse number 8, if we say that we have no sin, singular, verse number 9, if we confess our sins, plural. You see the difference? Sin or sins. Now the sin offering in the Old Testament related to sins. Trespass are related to sin, singular, in a broad sense. A trespass offering related to sins. In other words, individual specific sins. It's not just, Father, I have sinned. Please give me a raise tomorrow. No, that's not how you pray. It's, Lord... Specifically, I am a sinner that have committed sins. I did such and such. I tripped. I messed up. I failed. I said this. I did this. Here it is. We trespassed. That's what we do. We sin. We do what we do because of what we are. I don't know if this came from Bob Jones Sr. It may have. You know, Is a person a murderer because he murdered somebody? or did he murder somebody because he's already a murderer? That's really the truth of the matter. He's a murderer in his heart. Before somebody ever pulls the trigger, that guy's already messed up. The fact that he would want to kill somebody, that's in his heart whether or not the deed ever came out or not. If somebody tried to harm you, but they were unsuccessful, and the whole plot was foiled and they found out that person tried to harm them, they, I guess they can, I believe they can try you for murder. Because you tried, it just didn't come to pass. And so the idea is that we are sinners and we sin. So the idea is to commit, com- confess the sins. Confess both your condition and your conduct. That's the, the long and short of it. So here's the thing. I don't know if this is a hymn. I think this is a hymn. Sins against the holy God, sins against his righteous laws, sins against his love, his blood, sins against his name and cause. Sins immense as the sea from them all, he cleanseth me. So if that guilt is on you because you've sinned, confess it. Get it right. Say, okay, Lord, I messed up and I'm confessing up. I'm coming clean. I've been exposed. The light has shown me. I'm under conviction. I don't want to carry this guilt around. The second thing is claim the scriptures. All right, go back to uh, Romans 8. Because here's what happens to a lot of Christians. You get Romans 8 and John 5.24. John 5.24 is a great verse to show somebody when they trust the Lord as their Savior. So let's look in John 5 first. John five twenty four, and then we'll look in Romans 8. John chapter number 5, look in verse number 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So when you're saved, you're not going to come into condemnation. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it into the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 1 verse number 6. We have everlasting life. We don't have everlasting condemnation now. We're saved. Condemnation is the same word for damnation. To be damned is to be condemned. To perish. And so we're free from that. Now, I don't think I have any argument on that. I heard one amen. (laughs) You're saved, you're free from condemnation as far as hell goes. So why do you fall back under that condemnation of guilt of your sins then? Now if you've not made those things right as far as sonship and your fellowship, you have to understand the difference between the two. If you're saved, you're a child of God. There's no sin that you can commit that's going to change that. Just like some of your kids, if you were to go and you take them and they do DNA tests, they'll say, yep, the hospital was right. That's your baby. (laughs) That's your kid. There's nothing anybody can do. The person can go and try to have a name change. They can say, I disown you. I'm going to move to another state and never talk to you again. It doesn't change the fact that you're in that family. When you're born into God's family, you're in his family. However, fellowship is a whole different ballgame. You can get out of fellowship because you don't confess your sins and make things right between you and the Lord. Romans chapter number 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. We could just stop there and develop one side of the coin, but the other side of the coin has to do with fellowship. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So when you walk after the flesh, there's another type of condemnation he actually mentions when he talks about the Lord's Supper, about those that are uh, condemned. And it's not talking about hell. It's talking about those who refuse to judge their sins, those who refuse to confess their sins to the Lord, then they fall under that, that guilt again. They fall under that judgment. And the devil will take and use that stuff against you. Now here's another caveat to all of this. There are a lot of Christians that because of just their demeanor and maybe some things in their life, dealing with these mixed emotions, they go around with a guilt monkey on their back. They've already asked the Lord to forgive them, and He's forgiven them according to the Scriptures. But then they bring it back up. And they go back in the past, and they say, Well, I blew it here, I messed up here, and now all this has happened," And they walk around with this black cloud of guilt. And that's where the devil comes in. He loves for Christians to be under bondage. He loves for Christians to be enchained instead of set free. Because if you're not free in Jesus Christ, then everything about the Christian experience becomes inhibited. I mean, really, why are you going to sing loud and be joyful and have a good testimony? And Why would you want to witness to somebody if you don't even have peace? If you're walking around miserable, if you don't have any joy, if you're guilt-ridden all the time, what, what kind of testimony is that? The devil, man, he loves to get Christians in that darkness. And some of you, you get into that place. So really this is the, the message, hopefully it can help you to get rid of this guilt. You've got to claim his promises. We sing it, standing on the promises of Christ my King. You've got to stand on the promises of God. And it all has to do with this idea of our emotions and our spirituality mixing. Because when you look at our spiritual life, it's really summed up in that word faith. When you look at all these different emotions, when you want to get on the right side of the emotion, and you want to use that emotion like God wants you to use it, the way that you're going to be able to exercise that emotion is by faith. So how, how do you have the right type of guilt? By faith. Look, I guarantee you, if we were to do a survey which we will not do, there's a lot of us in here that are ashamed of some things we've done. Amen. Romans chapter 6, he says, you know, you know, what fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? Romans 6, 21. There's some things we've done that we wouldn't want nobody to know, things we've thought that we wouldn't want nobody to know our thoughts. And we're ashamed of those. Where the devil gets in is where he just begins to magnify that stuff. And he begins to dwell on that stuff. And he begins to uh, uh, repeat those thoughts over and over and over. And he tries to get you to dwell on the past. That's where faith comes in. And Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are, are before. You've got to learn to accept God's forgiveness. And when God's forgiven you, He's forgiven you. And here's another thing that has to do with faith. You've got to stand on His promises. I'll give you another verse, Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. You don't have to turn. I'll read it to you. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. It says, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. If God was to mark all of us and every little time we messed up, we would never get it. of the bondage of the guilt and certainly there's some things maybe you've even done that hasn't been brought to the light yet that's why this whole crazy idea for somebody to get saved they have to repent of all their sins you wouldn't even know of all your sins some some of the sins you didn't really were aware of until after you got saved like, man i didn't know that was wrong (laughs) now i know it's wrong so this idea, we have to understand, God reveals the light. That's why I went through 1 John and tried to say, look, specifically, immediately, we have to bring these when God says, hey, tag, you're it, that was wrong. And he nails you on it, then you need to get it right. Right then and there. To stay clean, stay clear of the guilt. Because if you don't, what'll do, what'll happen is the devil will just it's kind of like those clouds how you see in the summertime you just got a few of them and then it's like all of a sudden they start getting together they uh they they consort together you know and they build this huge thing and then by three o'clock in the afternoon here comes the big thunderstorm and the sun's put out because of the darkness and the devil will try to manipulate those feelings of inferiority and those feelings of inadequacy. We talked about it some when we talked about insecurity. And he'll use somebody that has a dipos- deposition, de- uh, uh, disposition. What's, what's the term I'm looking for? You know what I'm talking about. How's a, uh, uh, say it again? Disposition toward that type of, of mindset boy, he'll really take this guilt monkey and use it on him. And you say, Lord, I should have done such a... You sorry, piece of trash. And the last thing you need for me to do is to get up here and be what we call a harsh preacher. I like hard preaching. But if I just got up here and just raked you over to coals about how wicked you really are, and sometimes we need a good scolding, but you sit under that stuff for a long time, You can't handle it. Because I'm telling you what, I'm looking at a whole bunch of prodigals. (laughs) You might go prodigal every Thursday and every Monday. That's just the fact of the matter. Sometimes I think some of the young people and teenagers, that's the reason they go rabbit. Or whatever the term is, you know, that's kind of what I think about it, you know. As soon as they get old enough, you know, they're out of there. Because what teenager is really spiritual? Have you ever met a spiritual teenager and then we put all this pressure on them and then they're of the devil because they don't do A, B, C, and D and then all of a sudden they're, they're done with the pressure. I'm not here to put you in a pressure cooker. I want the Holy Spirit to put the pressure on you personally about your sin. And here's how you know the difference. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, He gives you a way out. He convicts you so you can confess it and make it right. The devil will come around and he will condemn you and he'll give you, leave you with the message of there ain't no hope. You're just going to mess up again. You're going to start reading the Bible again in January. Well, you'll be done by January the 15th. You'll be done, quit reading it. And he'll just go on and on and on and he will not let you rest. With the devil, there's no hope. But Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit convicting you, there's hope. So how do you get rid of guilt? Well, you have to go through these things. You have to you have to back up and say, okay, where's this guilt coming from? And you're going down the road, especially in the bigger cities, and you see the guy standing on the side of the road, and he's got his cardboard sign. Don't feel guilty. It ain't your fault that he's there. All these people on food stamps. It's not my fault they're on food stamps. All these kids were feeding in these schools because I guarantee you 99% of the parents in public schools don't own property anyway, so they're not even paying for education. It's not my fault their parents aren't feeding them. I'm not the village that has to raise the child. But there's this pressure from the devil and from society to try to make you feel guilty over things you're not in control of. Do your best and forget the rest. And I know you can go on both sides of this coin, and I'm preaching it on the one side, so later on I'll preach it on the other side. We do have a responsibility, and we do need to take up a responsibility of getting the gospel out, the responsibility of helping others. I I get all that. But I'm on this other side real quick, and I want you to understand the devil will try to guilt trip you into all kind of things. I've been in churches that way. Some of you have been in churches that way. I was in a church one time. We had a big program Wednesday night. We'd have around 100 kids plus every Wednesday night. And it was, I mean, it'd wear you out. It was two and a half hours every Wednesday we worked. We would have 30 to 40 teenagers, 13 and up, two and a half hours. That's a lot of work. And we had a lot of other workers for all the other programs, and some of you have been in churches like this. Not to say that's wrong, but when you get a small church and you've just got a handful of the Peter, Jameses, and Johns that are doing everything, and then you begin to make everybody feel guilty because they want to take a break because you're in church five nights of the week, uh... According to the Bible, the dispensation of family comes before the dispensation of the church. Amen, amen. I want you in church, but you have an obligation to your family. Some of these preachers, man, they build their little kingdoms. And they think that everything revolves around church. You need to learn all about education from the church. We're going to have behavior classes to teach your children and your kids and young people how to act. And we're actually going to have weight loss class and a finance class on Tuesday. We'll have something for you every night of the weekend. Oh, Friday, you can have family night. You can go home on Friday. That's not how we're going to do things around here. You've got a Bible and you've got the Holy Spirit. Don't fall into this idea, and I've seen it in churches and you have too, where the pastor pulls a big guilt trip on people. We only had 15 people show up for public ministry. You know you ought to be out there. We're not going to do that. You want to do it, you'll do it. If you don't, you won't. I am not a spiritual policeman. I'm a messenger, and I hope the Holy Spirit convicts you, and I hope the devil don't get in this thing and try to guilt trip you. I'll give you an example. Some of you ought to be ashamed. This is the example. (laughs) I don't want you to get confused. (laughs) Some of you ought to be ashamed. This is a missions conference. I'm preaching. It's coming down to the end of the sermon. I've shown you all these pictures of these little kids with big bellies and everything. All these missionaries don't have any money. How much money did you spend on dog food the last two months? Did you buy bacon that cost $10? And you could have put $10 in the offering plate to buy Bibles for somebody. Call yourself a Christian. See how the thing goes? It starts to sound like good preaching, don't it? You have to watch that kind of stuff, I'm telling you. But don't let the devil guilt you into the bad way. Here's the the thing. Claim the scriptures. Number one, you're forgiven. 1 John chapter 1. Number two, you're free. You're free. You've got to move from condemnation. Let your conscience expose the sin, get it right, and then move to confidence. Let me show you this one verse and we are done, I promise you. One verse and we're out of here. 1 John chapter 3. Guilt convicts us, grace covers us. Guilt wakes us up, grace helps us to sleep. Guilt lets us know something's wrong, grace assures us that something's right. Look in First John chapter 1. Uh, did I tell you one? I want uh, three. Yeah, three. First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, look in verse 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. There's that confidence, verse number 21. And so you fall under that guilt. You've got to claim his promises. You confessed it. You forsook it. You turned it over to him. And you backed up and you evaluate it. You say, well, preacher, I don't know if this is a false guilt or if it's real guilt. Well, if it's that big of a deal, judge it, number one, by the scriptures. If it's a a huge deal in your life, maybe get some advice from somebody. Say, look, am I looking at this thing wrong? Now, if it's a situation where you say, you know, I'm going to go to church once every six months, and I just don't know if I'm feeling bad because I don't only go to church once every six months, I can give you the answer to that real quick. But you get into some of those gray areas, sometimes you need to back up and say, okay, am I falling under this false guilt? Ladies and gentlemen, if you've confessed your sins and you've put it under the blood, the Lord forgave you. You need to claim his promises. There was a man named Hanley uh, Page, and he was a pioneer in aviation. And uh, He was flying one of these small planes, and he kept hearing in his headset this gnawing noise. And he realized as he began to watch some of his instruments bounce that something was going on. And he's like, oh, no, I've got a rat in here gnawing on these wires. So then he thought real quick how he can solve the problem. He just kept going higher and higher and higher and higher. Altitude. So he got to the place where he could hardly breathe. The gnawing stopped and he came down. And When he got down right behind the cockpit there, he found the dead rat. So what what are you talking about? Some of you have that guilty conscience, that thing's on you. You know what you need to do? You need to get higher. You get closer to him. And you confess it to him, you get the light on the situation, and that other stuff, it'll 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 dissipate the darkness. Just get closer to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the passages of scripture. I pray for my brothers and sisters, maybe somebody here tonight that's under some some guilt and they don't need to be. They've confessed it, they've forsaken it. God help them to claim your promises. Lord help us to recognize good guilt that comes from your Holy Spirit that convicts us. So we can get things right. But Lord, help us not to be in bondage to this false guilt. I pray, God, you'd help us to be able to have the discernment from the scriptures to recognize the difference, Lord. Thank you for the blood that cleanses us from all sin. Thank you for the songs we sang tonight that emphasize that. And we thank you for these scriptures. I pray you'd help us through the rest of the week now. In Jesus' name we pray.